and you're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. And my name is Jeff Milo. Joining me on the podcast today is Linda A. Jordan. Linda is an attorney, an activist, and writer. And I met her five or six years ago, if not a few more, when she was coming into Detroit, moving here from New York, and wound up joining a band. She was a songwriter. She was a singer, musician. And that's how I got to know her primarily. But then I got to know more about her work as an attorney and as an activist. And then I found out that she was putting out a new book of poetry. She has a chapbook out called In Waves. Uh, It features original poetry by Linda and her watercolor paintings. And it is a book out there in the world right now. And uh, if you're listening to this in time, uh, for the next... uh, week or so uh proceeds from this book are going to be uh benefiting rent party detroit now rent party detroit is an organization that linda founded uh very recently and it's raising money through the arts and cultural events to prevent eviction in detroit as well as educating the public on persisting housing inequalities i mentioned she was coming from new york but she is a michigander through and through and has been dedicating herself to bridging the divide between social justice and artistic communities And that is where Rent Party Detroit came in. And we talk a lot about that. We talk about a lot of her work as an eviction defense attorney. But more than anything, we are talking about the exercise of writing poems and the courage that that can take, especially when we are really laying bare all of our emotions and some of these really hard truths to face about ourselves, about our past, about our family, and even about the place where we live. But uh, ultimately... I think that this book is very poignant and and helps me tap into just the importance of holding empathy. It could be holding empathy for ourselves. It could be that sense of self-care. It could be holding empathy for others. And it could be just an awareness of the tides of our emotions and how they come to us in waves. This is a very beautiful book with very beautiful watercolor paintings. In Waves is the title. It is a chapbook of poetry by Linda A. Jordan. Here's our chat. actually been writing as long as I knew how as long as I for as long as I can remember it's always been my way to make sense of the world Um, I often can't unravel the thoughts in my head until I write them down and I'm like oh that's why I'm upset by this or that's Mm -hmm. why this made me happy Um, Mm -hmm. so so it's really it's really been a way for me to understand my own feelings and I do. I loved being in a band, but it's really the writing that I enjoyed. So I loved writing lyrics. I loved composing songs and putting them together. And, you know, I think songs and poems are kind of sisters. Mm -hmm. They are very related, but it, it has been a little scarier to put out poems because with a band, you have like your bandmates to help you and you have the music to create a mood. Right. In poetry, you just have the words themselves and they stand alone and they're very, it can feel very, make someone feel very vulnerable to put out, you know, what their truth is. And I think poetry is really the exercise of telling the truth mm-hmm. about experiences, you know, not, not like this is a history book sort of truth, but this is something that happened to you and this is how you experienced it. Um, and trying to convey that with words, I think has been challenging but a really fun exercise and actually over the pandemic I became uh, a a little bit more uh, I've always been a writer like I said but I became more 
I, I wanted to create something and I wanted to have a collection of something. And so I took some creative writing classes at Oakland Community College. Cool. cool. <laughs> I was part of, I did some like writers um, groups at Room Project. Um, so I just became, I, I took it a little bit more seriously and decided that it's something that helps my mental health and um, something that I really enjoy doing. So absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's that's where In Waves came from. Yeah, absolutely. So so you, you joined a writer's group, you took classes that was all within these last 20 surreal months. Um, and then side question, were some of these poems all from within these last 20 months, even though they kind of reference your whole life. I almost wondered if some of them came from years back or. So they do reference my whole life, um, but I think that the poems um, themselves, I really started writing in the past 20 months. Okay. Maybe a little bit before that, but yeah, it was it was a product of being very intentional about, I want to have a created, I want to have a, a finished work. Mm-hmm. And before it was just like, I would write when I was frustrated or when I, felt like it. And during the pandemic, I became a lot more mindful Mm -hmm. about setting, setting aside some time to write. Mm -hmm. And so they're written pretty recently. Um, I've had a lot of different writing groups and a lot of people um, give me feedback about various poems, which has been really nice. So yeah, it's the first time I've ever, you know, published something like this. And I started, started writing, um, poems and started sending them into some places to just see if, you know, they'd want to include them in their publications. And I got some good feedback and um, a few published works in other places. Um, And, you know, I just, I like doing it. And I also started painting during the pandemic. That's right. Your art (laughs) is in this book as well. Yeah, that was, I've always been drawn to the visual arts, but never, you know, never spent too much time with them. And I got really into watercolor painting and I really kind of like the freedom of watercolor painting that it's, mm-hmm. you know, not too precise and the water kind of does a lot of the work for you. Mm-hmm. And it's also an exercise in letting go of control a little bit because mm-hmm. watercolor painting is not precise and you just, you can create something with color and movement and feeling without having to sort of color inside the lines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um... And that, that, that ties into something of a theme in this book is just the, I mean, this all, this all connects nicely. We're talking about watercolors and how they can be a little more chaotic than actual acrylic paint because it, they naturally kind of splash all over the place. I'm trying to avoid the word uh, messy, but, they're, but they have that the little bit of a splotchiness to it. And what I'm getting towards is that our emotions can be splotchy and messy and chaotic. And this book is very much about how emotions hit us in waves. And you you kind of already touched on how these poems are helping you with your mental health, helping you get through a pandemic. But was, you know, how how early or how late did you realize that that, that was going to kind of be this, this interlocking theme here about how, you know, we are really getting into your emotions, but we're also really getting into your interaction with the natural world and all your memories. Um family too, but really, really a study of emotions. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So I think, I mean, going back to the paint and the messiness of yeah. it, the, the cover is is really kind of creating, like, it's just, I wanted to see how the colors combined. Mm-hmm. And it was really like, I wasn't painting in a particular 
way to create the color combinations. You know, I had the colors in mind that I wanted, but like the water really did the work. So it was acknowledging that you don't have control over everything. And I do think my emotions, of course, are central in this collection of work. So are the emotions of my family members Mm -hmm. and how I've dealt with that. I have uh, family members who struggle with mental health, um, with bipolar, with now Parkinson's-related dementia. So just like thinking about how those, um, how their mental health has had an impact on me um, has been really important and to sort of separate myself from them a bit which maybe is counterintuitive because a lot of the book is about my connection with my ancestors and with my family members but to recognize that you know they exist exist outside of me and you know their mental health is not my responsibility Mm -hmm. um, nor is it within my control to fix Um, and I think that's an important lesson for a lot of people to learn is what you can fix and what you cannot fix um, and what you what you have control over and what you don't have control over so yeah there's a lot of a lot of a lot of complicated emotions I think in these poems because life is complicated and uh, and you know we don't at least in my family don't talk about it a lot (laughs) Um, I think there's a lot of um, it's a pretty new phenomenon for people to share information about their mental health and to talk about their feelings and emotions and to recognize that traumatic experiences live in our bodies um, physically. Like it's not just a mental thing. It's not separate. It's, um, uh, you know, these stressors can remain in your body after the stress is like after it's gone, after the stressful event is over. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can actually pass these um, traumatic events in our DNA to our children. So when you're dealing with the situation um, that you find yourself in in the world, um, you're dealing with that, but you're also dealing with the traumatic experiences and the joyful ones, um, you know, that have imprinted themselves in our DNA Mm -hmm. of your ancestors. Mm So (laughs) there's like so much going on and so many layers. And I think water is always a, water is very important to me, but it's always a theme that comes up in my art and my writing and my dreams, like water is very prominent in my life. And I think it does, it, it is inherently, doesn't like a straight line. It mm-hmm. is um, inherent, can be, can be very calm and still mm-hmm. and can be very tumultuous. And so it, I think water is also a central theme. It can be, it can be mighty. It, 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 it's, it's, it causes erosion and look what it did to the Grand Canyon. Look what it can do. Uh, and I think that the, I think that these these poems uh, put me in a place where I can say that it is okay that I don't have control, acknowledging that I don't have control, and it is this uh, thing that we're just sometimes we're riding a tide, and sometimes it carries us away. Uh, sometimes we are buoyed by very uh, jubilant feelings, and we're feeling okay, and we're feeling like uh, we're in the sunshine, and sometimes the tidal wave comes and. And that's metaphorically, it's all in the, in the, in the emotions. And, and there's another great point about what this does to our bodies, what it does to our families' bodies, and we're not even aware of it. Could you talk a bit about, and I was spending all this time before the podcast trying to find, I should have just looked up a thesaurus, another word for, for courage, but maybe courage is the okay word for it because we did talk about how these poems require a certain amount of courage to be, to lay it all out, bare bones, to be to be vulnerable, to even be talking about our own 
body. There's a couple of poems in here that are just about about your body. And I think that it's important to anyone out there who wants to do something similarly, write their own book, write their own poems. Um, think it does require that gumption, that courage. Can you talk? Can you talk about that? Because again, we were. It's one thing to be in a band and have maybe a drum kit behind you and guitars and amplifiers and smiling faces and this a whole vibe there but this is this is so raw and uh can you talk about that <laughs> yeah i do think it is a exercise in courage yeah. and it takes some bravery to be able to really think about how events affected you mm-hmm. um and how you reacted to them with curiosity, right? To yeah. not be judgmental of what you could and could not do at the time. Or what you can or cannot talk about. Like, cause you're, I don't think you hold back. I really think you went there and you took us there and I really admire that. Thank you so much. I, I you know, I think that's a lifelong exercise to figure out how to do. And I, I'm still learning. And I, I think that so much of what happens to us is swept under the rug or Midwestern nicety is sort of like, that's not polite to talk about. And I think that does us all a disservice because, you know, we, we all face similar things and traumatic events affect each of us differently, but there are common themes. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have sort of a communal reaction or way to make us feel safe after these feelings, um, after these traumatic events happen, then the stress lives on in your body, right? The stress is not resolved. And I think people who have post-traumatic stress disorder can attest to that. People who just have not dealt with things that were traumatic to them Mm -hmm. is that, you know, the the stress, the stressor, the, the, the thing that caused the stress may be gone, but if you didn't have like your people to make you feel safe and make you feel like it's over, your body doesn't know that it's over. And so you remain in this limbo mm-hmm. of um, mm-hmm. not being able to feel calm and yeah. you know that that does have an impact on our bodies when it's when you're under stress it's your blood vessels open up you're you're ready to leap away from whatever is right. causing you um, harm at a moment's notice and that that takes a toll on someone's body so I think it's important for us to acknowledge the things that happen to us and that mm-hmm. happen to our friends and you know to say, like, it's okay that those things happened. Yeah. It's a, like, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, the important thing is that you feel safe now. Yeah. And hopefully you can move on, but also if, recognize that it's part of you, like that things are, mm-hmm. you know, that all of the events in your life shape you, right? Mm-hmm. So I think I have a tendency to be really critical of how I acted mm-hmm. in different times. Like, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I react this way? Why didn't I ask this person this question? Like, I'm very self-critical. And I, I see this trait in some of my friends, too, where they're just like, well, you know, you give someone a compliment and they're like, they list like 10 things that are wrong right. like <laughs> with what they did. And, I, you know, some of that is like humility and being humble. And some of that is not recognizing like our own power and our own talents. And, you know, I feel so lucky to be in a community of incredibly talented musician and artists yeah. who have always supported me. Yeah. Um, Detroit's an amazing place. Michigan's an amazing place for that. Um, I felt that with Best Exes with my, you know, former band. When I first started playing music in in Detroit, people were excited about it. They mm-hmm. hadn't even heard it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think our first show had like a good turnout and people were just excited that there was a new band in town doing a new thing. And the same with 
writing, you know, I found such a nice community of people who are writing in Detroit, people who were excited that I was putting out a chat book and a lot of musicians too, who were like, okay, you're going in this direction now. That's mm-hmm. really cool. I'm really excited to see what you come up with. Um, so I have felt so supported and I don't think that I would have the courage um, to put myself out there and to address some of these things uh, that have happened to me without that sort of support. Um, So I think community support is just so beautiful and important. Absolutely. Absolutely. The library, uh, this library started a monthly writers group as well. And I am in it. And I guess I'm kind of facilitating the the meetings, but I am really drawing so much positive energy from the meetings. I'm I'm really there to to get to get support and feel reinvigorated and feel like a renewed sense of of motivation. And you were talking about how you were in writers groups and I think that obviously this exercise of writing, we've been talking about how we have to allow ourselves to be to be vulnerable, but um finding that sense of community and I think we can do it in writers groups too, but we can do it in even a grander scale that you were that you were mentioning there. But it Ah, oh, it's, it's just such a breath of fresh air. It's wing, wind beneath your wings at that point. Uh, and then I also wanted to talk about this, we segue more into that, that, that communal focus. Um, and if, I, if I've heard this right, at least for the next 10 days or so, you know, sales of this chat book can benefit Rent Party Detroit. Can you talk about Rent Party Detroit? Can you talk about that? It's a whole other community angle of, of your motivations here, right? Of course, yeah. So for the month of November, all proceeds go to Rent Party Detroit. Uh, Rent Party Detroit is an organization that I founded to raise money to prevent eviction in Detroit, Hamtramck, and Highland Park. When I started it last year, there was little to no money for people who were facing eviction, just none. Our community, you know, our state had not allocated any funds to help people who were facing eviction. Um, And you mentioned I was an attorney. Um, So in in that side of my life, um, I was doing eviction defense work in 36th District Court, which is in Detroit. Um, And it was just an eviction mill. People were just evicted, who weren't represented, who didn't know their rights. Um, And sometimes they were evicted for really stupid amounts of money, like $300. And given the the far-ranging and severe um, effects of eviction, it just didn't make any sense to me. So Rent Party was a way to sort of connect the activist communities and the um, artistic communities uh, and give people a way to say, um, this is not something I want to happen in my community. Um, So the idea was based on the rent parties um, in Harlem that were popularized during the Great Migration, where, you know, people coming from the South didn't have many options for housing. And so the options that they had were usually pretty much slums, overcrowding. They were paying way more money than, you know, a white couple would be paying for the same sort of thing. But they all kind of uh, banded together, right, around the end of the month uh, (laughs) to make sure everyone could stay. And they would throw these parties. And really, like, all accounts of them are really quite amazing. Like, there was um, live music, there was dancing, there was, of course, drinks and (laughs) food and you know, they sounded like a pretty good time. Mm -hmm. And so they helped each other stay in their housing and found a little joy in the process. So I was really inspired by that and thought that Detroit is kind of like that. Detroit has so many events, right, artistic and otherwise. And so it, it it is a city that likes a good party. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so sort of expanding the idea of what a rent party could be, um, we wanted anything to be a rent party. Mm-hmm. So a book release, 
a sale at a local business. It could be a more traditional concert where like a percentage of the proceeds go to the fund. Um, and we've had some really good responses and we've been able to raise some money. But th this is an organization that um, I think I think the true value in it is helping people, of course, um, but also having people invested in this problem and mm -hmm. giving them an avenue to say, like, this is not something I want in my community and there's something that I can do about it. So it's really more about activism. Mm -hmm. Right. We don't we don't raise enough money to fix the eviction crisis. <laughs> like right. We we raise a small amount of money um, and we uh, give it to United Community Housing Coalition. Last year, we raised fourteen thousand dollars and they can use that money to help people uh, facing imminent eviction. So those mm -hmm. situations where someone needs a little bit of money to make their rent this month. Um, or if they're in an unsafe living condition. And we have a lot of those in Detroit too, where it's just the landlord has not kept up the property and it's really unsafe for them to be there. So um, right now there is some fi financial support from the federal government, which is something we haven't had in a very long time. Um, it is temporary. Not everyone qualifies though. So it's still very important to have some money with no, not a lot of strings attached um, to help people who need it. And the very important cause, we'll be linking to it in the, in the show notes. And you, you'd mentioned that this this was another thing started within the last span of this these months in quarantine, in quarantine and pandemic, right? Yeah. Um, so I thought about it um, as an eviction defense attorney, just yeah. like wishing there was a little bit of money I could get my clients. Like sometimes it was like someone just needed $500, right? And there was just no way. There was no state funding. There was very little private funding. And so uh, I started thinking about it before the pandemic, mm -hmm. then the pandemic hit and the eviction crisis that was already, that already existed was exacerbated. Mm -hmm. You know, Detroit was hit really hard with people out of work. Being, being evicted always has health repercussions mm -hmm. um, in terms of stress and overcrowding and things like that. But being evicted during a pandemic can be a death sentence. Like it's not hyperbole to say that. Sure. So saying that, and early on the pandemic, we didn't know any federal aid was going to come. I thought, how can I start this um, organization that is funded by social and cultural events <laughs> during a pandemic where we can't have social and cultural events? But then um, I saw people moving events online and having like fundraisers through Instagram mm -hmm. and things like that. We had a Trumbleplex show mm -hmm. um, that was all through Instagram live mm -hmm. um, that raised like over $500 for the fund. So, um, so yeah, I, I saw that it was possible and that it was so needed. So yeah. we actually tried to work very quickly to get it off the ground because um, the need was just so um, immense. Yeah. You have been early in this interview, you've been talking about your your poetry and I'm seeing this link of inspiration, whether it's your efforts with REM Party Detroit or whether it is what you're trying to ruminate upon in your poetry is it really does come back to empathy. So if it's these poems explore empathy for your family and a sense of self-care, but the harshness and the really dehumanizing practice of evicting someone and just wanting to help them. Uh, man, Linda, what the world needs now is empathy, sweet empathy. Um, <laughs> and so I could see that. And so I really, really am glad that you are committed to that. And it's and it's cool to see, I don't know, it's just cool to see to artists, musicians getting on board for that as well. I do still have more questions about your poetry though. Um, so I'm gonna gracelessly segue back to that for just a second, just from, from a reader and, and writer angle here is, can you, 
tell us when you were creating these poems, and, and this does I t- t- tap into to how they are really rooted in empathy. But you know, when you get one done, I guess was there some sort of measure for yourself about whether or not it felt like the right poem or the perfect poem or the quintessential Linda poem, because they all have a a certain similarity in that they do tie into your family. They tie in a lot to the natural world. And they have this tendency to not really have that, I thought this, I feel this, I, I, or me, me. That's a bit abstracted. And they're very visual as well, almost as though they are microscopic zoom-ins on faded polaroids uh so very uh waking dream very heavy memory um so that was something common i just found in your poems that uh was just so beautiful that really close-up examination um did you start to find that that was your measure of of whether these poems were going to come together or was it were you not really thinking about that no that first of all thank you i'm, I'm glad that that the poems hit you in that way. You know, you never really know how a poem is going to affect someone. And earlier on in some of these creative writing classes, I would write a poem and um, share it with the class. And uh, people, there would be all these different ideas about what it meant, which is, which is, interesting and nice but it's also like that's not what I was trying to convey (laughs) so um so that was really helpful for me to say like sometimes I can get a little too abstract right and so taking a step back and saying okay what is it I really want to create here and you know I work to create an emotion as as opposed to explaining the emotion I work to create a mood for the poem and I think a lot about uh, about sounds, you know, about mm-hmm. sort of the lyrical, getting back to the lyrical aspect of it. I think about pace. Mm-hmm. Like I think about how I want to set up the poem on the page in order to speed it up or slow it down. Mm-hmm. And I always read them out loud. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, I'll work on something for a while and it will sound really great in my head and then I'll read it out loud and then I'll be like, oh no. <laughs> Um, so I don't know if there's like a quintessential Linda poem Um, I guess maybe they all are because they're all extensions of me but yeah yeah, I I work hard to try to create to to put the reader um, into the emotion and have them experience the emotion um, as opposed to explaining it and I Mm -hmm. think that's something that I've I've worked really hard to try to do yeah Uh, I believe there's a poem called Magnolia which is that bringing in those natural elements. There's a poem called Master Plan, which uh, broke my heart and in a very, uh, I'm saying it in admiration, but but Master Plan might come in. So Magnolia Natural, Master Plan feels like it is coming from that source of empathy, if I think I'm trying to get what you're you're conveying here. And then the empathy for your family comes in at the end with like super intense uh, poems. Um, One is, uh, they're, they're kind of, linked girlhood and 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 boyhood which and the last one is kind of more of a lyrical essay as they say and i and i have to imagine these last two pieces in the book were potentially very difficult to write but the more we've been talking about poetry it it is really all about that that catharsis it is we've been talking about trying to be okay just trying to be okay with something trying to be very uh come to a place of acceptance i guess uh even if uh, the the lyrical essay is bringing up hard feelings um it's yearning for some sort of sense of inner peace i don't know what the experience was like for you but the really intense writing there 
and just beautiful. Yeah, so lyric essay is sort of a newer form that I didn't know a lot about, but you know, it's kind of a cross between a poem and an essay, mm -hmm. um, as it sounds. But it's also, um, it's really focused on creating the emotion, um, like I was saying in the poems. And so I really like this form because I think it's very freeing. Yeah. Like instead of writing an essay about like this happened in like, you know, a very linear fashion, you can write about how you experience something. And a lot of, I do use a lot of imagery um, because these images tie things together in my head and are connected in a certain way that maybe I can't explain completely, but yeah, there's there's different situation and different images that are connected and lyric essay allows you to sort of bring them all together mm -hmm. in sort of an abstract way that sort of creates a, a dreamlike effect. Mm -hmm. um, I did want to say master plan, um, it, it probably relates the most to my work with Rent Party. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So it's um it's right when I moved to Detroit in 2014. I lived in North Corktown um, or Briggs, as some people call it, um, just north of 75 there, which has changed a lot over the years. But when I moved there, there were no streetlights, so it was very dark at night, and it was a little disconcerting. Coming, I, I lived in New York before then, mm -hmm. and um, coming to a place where it's not dense, there were fields um, and um, sort of remains of old houses that had been torn down was a little jarring. And then um, the other thing is that there was, th this poem was inspired by watching my neighbor's house burn down. Right. Because a lot of people are familiar with this now, but a lot of the fire hydrants didn't work um, in Detroit. So if your house was burning, it was kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> it, the, the firefighters really couldn't do much because they just had like the water on their trucks. They couldn't tap into the fire hydrant. And um, I started seeing that, you know, there's all these big plans, these big master plans for what Detroit should be and what Detroit should be in the future. And in one of those plans that I saw, that whole neighborhood was slated to be like a future reservoir. And it's kind of, um, wow. yeah, a wow. little bit. Uh, it's tragically ironic, I guess. Tragically ironic, yeah. right? Like there, it, but it, it showed the strategic disinvestment, right? right. Like. It wasn't that the city or um, whoever was planning this was going to compensate landowners for their land and and slowly build um, this park or this reservoir. It was that they were going to strategically disinvest mm -hmm. in a certain community so that people would just leave on their own. Uh, and so, you know, I watched my neighbor's house burn down. The firefighters really didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. um, and the neighbor actually, she wasn't home, but she showed up at the end, like at the end of me watching it, at mm. least just screaming. And I just remember that blood curdling scream um, and her, her pets were inside. She had, she had a variety of pets mm -hmm. um, that I learned that were inside that were, had burned in fire. And so it was a really tragic scene, and, but I think it was also emblematic of sort of a strategic disinvestment in certain communities. Yeah, um, and how it just presents as cold apathy. Absolutely, so. yeah. And, and you know, there's there's been a lot of people writing about how the fire hydrants didn't work in, in certain communities, and um, it, it ties into um, property tax foreclosure right. and how, like, you know, the, the city and the county really conspired to take away people's homes mm -hmm. and to kick them out, and then you have shells of homes. Um, and, you know, that, that particular house... Um, 
there was a chain link fence around the yard and the house was just burnt down to the foundation, nothing left. And then the next spring I saw all her flowers were starting to come up. So it was really tragic to see this just foundation of a house that used to exist. And then the the flowers, you know, Mm -hmm. still came up in the Mm -hmm. spring. Um, So that was a, that, that, that poem I think ties the most with my work as an eviction defense attorney um, and an activist in in Detroit. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but that's, that's the other thing. Um, And I I could talk to you about poetry for, for hours and and all everything that it implies, but just to to wrap up, I'll say that that's another um, achievement of your poetry is that you do get the close up. You do take us right up to the textures of a flower petal or the surface of someone's skin but you do pull back too for the whole bigger picture and i don't know i mean we we can't really it is important to do that zoom out and and included in that zoom out is um all of these systemic problems that we're that we're referring to you know we are here existing too but um again bringing it back to that empathy empathy for everybody else and it's just such a great great collection of poetry here linda so i'm really glad it's out there i hope a lot of people read it thank you so much yeah. um we will link to more info in the show notes about rent party detroit and in waves is the new chat book from linda a jordan thank you so much for joining me it's always great to talk to you thank you jeff it's so nice of you to have me And that was our chat with Linda A. Jordan, a writer of poetry, also a writer of songs and a writer of essays and a writer of fiction. But her new chapbook is called In Waves. We're so glad to have her on this podcast. And that'll do it for this episode of A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast brought to you as always by the friends of the Ferndale Library. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each episode is by a local musician known as Zunset. If you want to support this podcast, you can go to ferndalefriends.org. Or you can always just uh, rate, review, you know, leave us a comment, give us a five-star rating, tell a friend about it. And if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, share it to social media. We'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.